Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead better where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. Guests on the Leadership File are typically drawn from one of three broad areas, church, charity and commercial world. It is very rare that I have a guest who has experience of leadership in all three. This week I'm joined on the Leadership File by Andrew Baines. His career began in the British Army, where he rose to the rank of Lieutenant Colonel as CO of a large Royal Engineers Regiment with nearly 1,000 men under his command. Changing career in his early 40s, he then trained at London Business School and has had various roles as general manager, as a consultant in the business and charity sectors, including privatisation work in Romania in the 90s, and leading major projects with the British Legion and the Royal National Institute of Blind People. Since 2012, he has been Director of Christian Outreach in the Alps. Along the way, he's had various roles as a lay leader in local churches, including that of Church Warden. So welcome, Andrew, to Leadership Far Great to have you. Thank you very much, Andy. I'm very pleased to be on your programme. I feel very humble. Um, I'd just like to add at the outset that um, my faith has been one of the enduring aspects of my life since I became a Christian shortly after marrying my lovely Christian wife nearly 49 years ago. It has influenced everything. It is me. Andrew. Wonderful. Great. Well, great to, great to know. I mean, I'm just wondering whether the, the Andrew Baines at school would have been surprised at the kind of uh, career that you've had. Absolutely. Um, not by going into the army, because, in fact, I was a third generation soldier, so it was clearly in my DNA. But I think the Andrew Baines at school would have been surprised that in mid-career he left uh, the army uh, by choice, of course, and switched to a, a business career including um, working as a privatization consultant in Romania, as you mentioned, for most of the 1990s, shortly after the fall of communism. That really was a remarkable and unique experience that certainly wasn't on my uh, original life script. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the stereotype of army leadership, of course, is its, its command and control. Um, but there are soft schools of leadership also important within, within the army? Yes, um, I should say that I left the army over 30 years ago, but in, I think in the leadership context, things don't change much, although clearly doctrine, tactics and equipment and so on do. And we have a son in the army, so I keep up to date through what he's doing. In my day, um, Andy, the John Adair model of functional leadership, as it was called, um, three overlapping circles um, denoting the task, the individual needs and team maintenance was in vogue. Simply highlighting the different leadership demands on army officers and of course in training one could develop all these um the army leadership model always has been and i'm sure still is um the the ultimate leadership model uh the army and the other two services um place unique demands on leadership and many times one's on duty 24 7 serving the queen and country ultimately of course the big difference between any other form of leadership is that one is prepared to give one's life and sadly um, you know we've seen many deaths from brave soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan more recently so the whole spectrum of leadership is, is needed in the army yeah indeed uh, and, and when we were talking before the, the show we talked about transactional leadership and transformational leadership um, perhaps you could outline a little bit uh, how that functions within the army Yes, those sound slightly technical words nowadays, but 
Um, I think one can divide the leadership into two. Firstly, in the Army, leadership for team building, training, uh, transforming individuals who are recruits into and then into units, into highly efficient teams, team building. Um, that's the time to persuade, discuss, develop, encourage, measure progress, and so on. And I think that you, you could classify as transformational leadership, um, focusing on the means over the ends, soft skills, as I think you mentioned. But then, of course, there's the leadership required when, um, when the unit is operational, the team is in action, fully trained. Uh, everyone knows their role, uh, looks to the leader to lead, that's his role. Um, perhaps that's transactional leadership, focusing ultimately on the ends over the means, direct um, c command and control, I think, to use your expression there. Yeah. Uh, and and w where have you seen that kind of transformational leadership working well? Well, um, I can think of two, one um, uh, from the Bible and one from my own experience. The Bible, um, we know it very well, it's how Jesus led his, what I call his MBA program, My Beloved Apostles <laughs> That's program. That's I like it, yeah. <laughs> He transformed them, didn't he, from a ragbag mix of ordinary men from different backgrounds into a remarkable team, the sort of thing I was talking about just now. He loved them, he cajoled them, he rebuked them. He put them through a number of training exercises, as we know, sending them out in pairs and with very clear instructions. He was let down by them. He questioned incessantly by them, but he and they stuck to the program. And when his time came to be crucified, he didn't desert them. He reappeared to encourage them again. And finally, of course, they were commissioned by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Without that transform, transformational leadership by Jesus, that group... Um, uh, the Christian faith would never have spread throughout the world, would it? Um, and I wouldn't be talking to you. What a, you know, what an amazing achievement that was. Absolutely. And you said that you'd also seen a, a, a something in in first-hand experience, in terms of your own working yes, life. My own experience. Uh, you mentioned in the introduction the Royal British Legion. Um, I, I was five years with them in the um, 2001 to 2006. The at that time the trustees and directors were facing many difficult problems with the governance of the whole enormous charity and also with the membership organization um, of over half a million. I was brought in to help uh, for two years as a consultant uh, with very wide terms of reference. And when the trustees um, agreed to my recommendations in my report, I was then asked to stay on for three years to implement the changes, a challenge that was to make transformational changes um, because the members were fully involved. and. The Royal British Legion members are very fine men and women, as I'm sure you know, but um, they w will never accept change unless they identify with it and support it. So we introduced a program called Taking the Legion Forward, and step by step through much, um, looking back at transformational leadership, TLF, as, as we called it, became not only um, a banner, if you like, but also a way of introducing really good changes. The members supported it, the changes went through, and I think looking back on it now, I think the whole um, process was uh, what, what one might call internalization, which is the best way of achieving change, and is the other end of the spectrum from compliance when change is achieved by force, rules and procedures, which would definitely not have worked in the, in the Royal Christian Legion. Right, indeed. So people's hearts had to be kind of in it, and they had to embrace the values of what you're seeking to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Andrew, you... Um, I mean, Christians in leadership like the sound of transformational leadership. Um, uh, do you think having a, a faith that's concerned with transformation gives a kind of a head start, do you, do you think? 
Absolutely. I mean, the personal faith gives any leader an extra resource which no amount of training can provide. I think all leaders have role models, and leadership training has traditionally studied um, successful leaders. As a Christian, one has a role model permanently alongside one, no less than Jesus, of course. Um, his MBA program is open to all. Um, as a Christian, one has a role model permanently. What a companion, what a strength of support and encouragement. Um, most times unknown to those one is leading. Yeah, Responding yeah. to his leadership and allowing Jesus to reflect one's own leadership is what it's all about for me, I think. Sure, sure. And, of course, we have the resource of prayer. What can be stronger and more effective as a transformational power um, than God's grace through prayer? Yeah. Um, I've just read Philip Yancey's um, What's So Amazing About Grace, um, extraordinary account and thrilling account of lives changed by grace. And another thought just briefly, um, going back to the army, ever since being at, at Sandhurst as a cadet and later as an instructor, I've always been deeply impressed that the Sandhurst motto is serve to lead. So leadership is a service. It's never ever um, an ego trip. And that of course is exactly in line with the Christian faith through which one is um, encouraged to use one's gifts and abilities for the benefit and growth of others. Yeah. Uh, so, Andrew, you left a, a successful career in the Army. Um, you know, why was that, and what advice would you give anyone considering a major career change of that sort? Well, looking back on that period, that was one and the same time, both simple and complicated stage in my life. I left in the face of success, which is unusual, I think, but I felt very strongly that my future was outside the Army, and with hindsight, I see now quite clearly that at heart, I was an entrepreneur. Um, and that was not a requirement to be a senior officer, and possibly even a hindrance there, one said. Um, on the personal side, um, I'm sure that I've made a greater, a greater contribution to God's kingdom over the last 32 years than if I'd stayed in the army. Right, right. Um, at, at, well, as a layman living in two villages for over 15 years each, gave, one, gave me and my family the continuity, uh, both personal and in our church life, as I developed a second career. Um, Andy, you said about advice, very difficult, because every circumstance is totally different, but um, I'd say if the circumstances are right, don't rule out a change of career if you feel in any sense trapped where you are, despite doing well. Um, seek the support and prayers of a few close friends and close family, um, and take the real step in faith. It may be just what God is calling you to take. Yeah. And don't think in terms of what you're giving up, because there'll be others to fill your shoes, but if, think of what you're taking on, yeah. even if that's not altogether clear from the outset. Sure. Um, Andrew, you've worked as a consultant with uh, businesses and then charities. Um, how does leadership in those sectors differ from the Army? Very good question, Andy. Thank you. As I've just mentioned uh, about the army there's a very high level of training and developing teams and until everyone knows their own role in the team and then it's totally mission orientated and of course ultimate leadership skills are required to lead an active service in business um, it's a huge generalization but it's much more difficult in the commercial and financial world with the pressures um, there's more than one enemy um, I found it's like being on active service every day when I made the switch for careers. 
And the battle, of course, is for that prized territory known as market share. Yeah. Um, it's a dog-eat-dogs world, jungle, survival of the fittest, and so on. Um, and firms that don't innovate um, are, are unlikely to be successful. So winning the hearts and minds of your staff and developing winning teams requires real leadership because there are many barriers to overcome to gain internalization. I think business leaders, um, their model tends towards transactional, particularly in manufacturing, because most of the employees are doing the same thing um, on quite a repetitive basis. So what is there to transform, you might say. But um, I, I read some of transformational leadership is described as Britain's scarcest resource. Um, uh, and it, Tom Peters, I think we mentioned this before, but Tom Peters wrote a remarkable book in 1987 called Thriving on Chaos, a handbook for management revolution, um, which is still available. It's quite extraordinary book. If, if listeners haven't ever come across it, um, do do have a look. He has um, he has seven, uh, sorry, five main headings, and he within each one there are about ten what he calls prescriptions: creating to total customer responsiveness, pursuing fast-paced innovation, achieving flexibility by empowering people, learning to love change, a new view of leadership at all levels building systems for a world turned upside down. His, his, his premise right from the start that um, leadership is um, handling and how you handle chaos because the business world is chaos. And I'll just give you an example of one of his summaries on one of his prescriptions. And I just wondered when I looked at this again um, whether Donald Trump might have been a shadow co-author of this let no day pass without acting as a visible model by engaging in at least one feat of bureaucracy destruction. Ensure that most of these publicized feats of bureaucracy bashing are in service to a horizontal style of management, which minimizes up and down vertical communication and replaces it with fast frontline cooperation across functional boundaries. How about that? Well, <laughs> well, we'll we'll discuss that in a minute. I'm we're just coming to a break now, Andrew. So you're listening to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Andrew Baines. Um, we'll be back just after this. Well, welcome uh, back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Andrew Baines. Um, Andrew's a former uh, lieutenant colonel within the British Army. Uh, changed career in his early 40s, um, <clears throat> had various roles, general manager as a consultant in business and charity sectors. Uh, and since 2012, he's been uh, director of Christian Outreach in the Alps, and we'll be talking about that in this second section. But, uh, uh, Andrew, just before the break, you, you read us that, that quote from Tom Peters. So uh, <laughs> um, it was quite a quote. Um, what, what do you kind of particularly draw from that? Yes, um, uh, that, that was a view on business, a very broad view on business leadership and the requirements care of Tom Peters. Um, in, in the voluntary and charity sector, um, in my experience, that was the most difficult sector in which to lead and to do. There are so many stakeholders, um, trustees, staff, members of organizations, charitable organizations, volunteers, donors, supporters, all requiring some form of leadership, including trustees, if one could say that. Um, so there really is a need for strong transformational leadership, plus 
uh, some hard-nosed business disciplines and governance at the same time. Otherwise, why would people make donations? It's very, very difficult a leadership in the in the voluntary and charity sector, and, and good leaders there are much to be admired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's no surprise, uh, Andrew, to discover that you have a, a heart for men in the local church. Um, certainly, most churches find that many many of the men in the congregation have less time to be engaged than maybe the the, the wives um, or, or other women in the church. Uh, in your experience, what are the issues that church leaders need to be aware of when it comes to men? Well, something that is on my heart, and is as as you know, I think, um, is that retired men have a lot to offer. Um, but do they know that? Uh, retired men have a real ministry, and I I think I would suggest it's a ministry of encouragement. And I'm drawn to um, Paul's letters to the early churches, where he encourages, encourages, encourages all of them all the time. He uses that word over 30 times at least in his letters. I looked it up, encourage is to inspire with spirit and hope. And um, where I'm coming from on this is that men need encouragement, but some never get any encouragement. Um, As we know, uh, if you've read the book, men are from Mars, and men bottle things up, and we go, when we have a problem, we go into our caves to sort it out, and don't come out until we have um, and this is quite unlike uh, women from Venus who do quite the reverse they talk about it um, so it is very easy to get into a downward spiral particularly if problems are with work family or finances or any combination of those so um, what I'd say to older Christian men is get alongside younger men in your churches or community discern if you can whether there are problems pray about it listen 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 because listening is the um, the most helpful thing and then encourage and encourage and encourage to younger men um i would say don't bottle up problems and let them get out of control share them in confidence with an older man you respect it may surprise him but do it and please please do that now yeah, I mean, certainly the <clears throat> in the last decades there's been a kind of liberation of women and some of the feminist movement, some of the, I mean, obviously some healthy things coming yeah. from that, um, not wishing to say it, there aren't, but uh, maybe yeah. there needs to be a, a similar sense of, of, of men finding their identity appropriately in, in this kind of so-called new world. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I think the I think the challenge to older men who may be happily in their retired cave, reading their paper, you know, having a coffee, playing golf, etc., um, thinking they've done their bit in life. Um, but as Christians, we've never done our bit in life <laughs> until we're called to higher places, should we say. Um, and I would just, as I said, encourage um, older Christian men to really have an ear, a heart, and to eyes open and to look around the younger men who, who may be bottling things up. Mm. We, we all know we've done it. Um, but things, things are quite bad sometimes for, for younger men if all these um, problems compound and combine and, um, and they've got no one to talk to. Okay. Um, it, it's, a, it's a sort of a sort of slightly alternative to Samaritans, I suppose, but churches can do this. Absolutely. Churches can, can do it. 
Now, Andrew, I mentioned in the introduction that you've become uh, Director of Christian Outreach in the Alps, uh, C-O-R-A, Cora. How did that come about and what do you seek to do? Well, um, in, in a, uh, I think it was in 2004, um, I was invited to be a trustee of a Christian charity called the Two Tin Two Trust, which some listeners will undoubtedly know about. Run by two good friends, David and Shirley Steele. It was their ministry, um, and, and through the trust, they ran Christian training programs, but also slightly on the side, they ran a winter chaplaincy um, program in Verbier, a uh, top Swiss ski resort. Shortly before David's death in 2009, he asked if I would take over the um, Verbier chaplaincy program, which I did with a very good friend, the Reverend Tim Mullins. And shortly after that, we changed its name to the English-speaking church. Then in, in 2012, we wound up um, Tutin 2, we called it, and then launched at the same time a new charity called um, Christian Outreach in the Alps, which we shortened to Cora. And the mission is to sh share the love, grace, and truth of Jesus Christ in the Alps. So that is now um, the umbrella charity for ESC, English-speaking church, um, Verbier, and also the English-speaking church in Merivale, a new church in one of the top French ski resorts um, that we la uh, launched last December, both winter churches. And Cora, as we call it, provides um, chaplains to both churches on a fortnightly rotation, provides other resources, gives help and encouragement to the local Christians, and essentially prays for, for, for both churches. And so you're seeking to, to help particularly those who uh, are working in the resort, so perhaps English people who go out for the winter as ski instructors or uh, within the uh, leisure industry, uh, the catering trade, uh, as well as people who visit for you know for the for the skiing itself. Um, I, I lost some of that, um, but um, I, I might take this opportunity, and I think that's what you asked to say. Um, how we'd like people to help us? Indeed, um, yes. Yeah, the, the, the first is we'd love to hear from Christians living in the Alps who would like some support, encouragement, resources, and so on to create a sustainable Christian outreach to the English-speaking community where they are, uh, and that would include visitors and seasonal workers. I, sh I should say that something about the Alps that is very special in spiritual terms, as I think many people will, will know, when you get out there, whether you live there or you're visiting or you're working perhaps for a season, um, there's something very special about the panorama, the God's creation, you're away from your normal routine and so on. And I think many people's thoughts do turn to more um, spiritual sort of questions, if you like. Um, and so that's some, somewhere I've caught up in the whole of this Cora um, charity. The second category are chaplains. Um, we're looking for um, men or, or women, I suppose. We haven't had one yet, but it could be. Um, people who would be available for two weeks, people with on outgoing faith who are prepared to obviously preach and share the gospel, um, and, and also are prepared to ski, even if that means learning to ski. Because quite a lot of our work and activity is um, around the ski slopes, chatting to people, giving out things, and, and so on. And the third area is um, a new scheme we're talking about called Young Christians in the Alps, which 
we hope will provide support and encouragement to young Christians during a season um, working in the Alps. As I mentioned, it's a very um, formative time for the people, and doing a season sounds glamorous. Ocento did a season, isn't that great? You know, there we are. But um, it's very hard work and very difficult for young Christians. And I've heard of more than one um, young Christian nearly losing their faith um, because it was, they find it so difficult and so lonely um, deep down to be amongst so many young people with, shall we say, slightly different values in, in some cases. So what we're doing, um, Andy, we're hoping to develop a prayer and support network for them, um, put them in touch with prayer partners, um, put them in touch with each other and so on, um, in the hope that not only will that help their own personal faith, but um, enable them to make friends amongst their um, colleagues and perhaps share some of their faith with them also. Wonderful. Well, you can, um, uh, how can people get in touch with you? How can people get in touch with you? Oh, sorry, Andy. It's, <laughs> uh, yes, getting in touch, I think, probably is the, the, at the moment best by email. Andrew at corealps, C-O-R-A-L-P-S dot org. Andrew at corealps dot org. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Thank you for that opportunity, Andy. Oh, splendid. Well, you've been listening to the Leadership Follow Me, Andy Pet. My thanks to Andrew Baines. Um, we, thank you so much for all you've shared, Andrew. And thank you for listening uh, for your uh, interest in the show uh, do go to Premier's website and download the uh, archive versions of Leadership File and join us again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.